Good morning, everyone. Morning. Good morning. Morning. It's good to see you all here today. Braving the weather. Tried to make it nice and cosy in here with bright red heaters. Super. It's good to welcome you to our communion service this morning. Um, we'll all be in together for communion as usual, and then the children, young people, will go to their groups after that. The young people have got their bake-off today. Very exciting. So there might be opportunity to try a bit of tasting afterwards. Wonderful. What is the bake-off? Or it? It's biscuit week. Begin. You hopefully should have received a little heart. Has everyone got a little heart? If you haven't, Sean has some with her, probably, over there. Please do get one because we'll be using those in just a moment. Now, you know when we gather together, we often come from different places. Some of us have been preparing ourselves and we're thinking, yes, I'm coming to church. This is what I want to do. Others of us are rushing around. There's lots to do today. It's Feast Parade. We've got Bake Off. I don't know. There's all sorts. And we just rush in and we sit down and we think, oh, good, we're on time. And others of us just don't want to be here. It's a dreary day. It's a bit cold, but I'll come anyway. But you know, when God sees us sitting here, he doesn't look and think, oh, they've come prepared, I'm excited about them, but they haven't, so I'm not really that interested. He looks at each of us and he thinks, wonderful, they're here today and I want to meet with them. And the thing that he's interested in is our hearts. You've got a little heart peg there. What our hearts are like. He looks at us and he sees our hearts. He knows whether we want to be here or not, but he welcomes us. But what God wants and what God desires this morning is for us to bring our hearts to him, those things which are within us, those things which are on our minds and our hearts. He wants us to say, you can have my heart and do what you will. And when we offer our hearts to him, when we offer ourselves to him, God surprises us by doing amazing things in our lives. So I thought that as we gathered this morning, during our first song, If we wanted to, we could take our little heart on a peg and we could bring it up to the front as a sign that we want to offer God our heart this morning and ask him to work in our lives. And because it's a little peg, you can peg it on the bottom of the communion cloth. (laughs) Let's hope it doesn't all, you know, come onto the floor. Gently peg it onto the bottom of the cloth as a sign that you're coming to God's table and offering your heart to him. If you cannot get up to bring your heart, then give it to someone else who is getting up and say, could you take that and put it on for me? Because you don't all have to get up if you don't feel you can. But I invite you, during our first song, to come and offer and bring your heart to God by bringing your little heart up and pegging it onto the cloth at the front of the table. So let's stand and sing our first song together. Come, now is the time to worship. Now is the time to give our hearts. Let's stand together. The words will appear on the screen behind me. The reading is from John chapter 3, starting at the first verse. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. 
For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Well, we've been looking at the book of John for about six weeks now. And we've worked our way through just two chapters, which is fairly good for us. We, we go slow, don't we? But so far, we have encountered a fair amount. We've seen the word become flesh, for starters. We've heard the words of John as he proclaimed this wonderful event. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We've experienced, if you like, the advent of Jesus, the God of grace who entered our world. And having experienced this, we have then followed Jesus. We have watched as Jesus has encountered many people. We've seen him call his first disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter and Philip, who believed straight away. And Nathaniel, who struggled to believe at first. We've seen him listen to his mother at a wedding and subsequently turn jars full of water into the best wine you could taste. We've seen him enter Jerusalem and see the wonderful temple and the corruption and discrimination within its courts. And we've watched as he knocked over the tables of the money changers and market stalls. We followed Jesus for two chapters And we have seen many things. And we've also been challenged by many things. Hearing through Nathaniel how Jesus loves us completely, even before we even know that he's there. Hearing through Mary how to listen and care for our families and how to expect miracles to take place when we do so. Hearing through the disruption of the temple how the presence of God is free to all, and how we are commissioned to make that known to everyone. We've seen and we have heard and we have been challenged by many things in just two chapters of this book. 
And as we have followed Jesus, as we have followed the word made flesh, we have met many people, some of whom, some of whom we've seen have been important figures of that day. Others believe that they would be important, but actually they're not. And some we have seen were going to be important later in life. But now as we begin chapter 3, we really do meet an important character. He was important in the society of the day, but he's also important in the story of Jesus. The person I'm talking about is, of course, Nicodemus, who we just heard about through the reading that Rob did. And we only have to read the first verse of chapter 3 to find out how important he really was. For starters, he was described as a Pharisee, a man responsible for making sure the rules and teachings of the people of Israel were obeyed. He was also a member of the Jewish ruling council, those who made decisions of religion and politics and Jewish life. He is a teacher. He is a lawgiver. He is a religious policeman, if you like, of his day. He is the one who everyone would have looked up to in society. If there was a law to be obeyed, Nicodemus would know about it. If there was a question to be asked, Nicodemus would know the answer. If there was an issue to be dealt with, Nicodemus and his colleagues would be the ones who would deal with it. In the society of his day, Nicodemus was very important. His social standing in the everyday life of the Jewish world would have been almost unequaled. He is a member of a high social strata. He's a member of the top religious group. He's a member of the ruling council of Judaism. Of all the people that we have encountered as we have followed Jesus, Nicodemus is by far top of the tree. He's also by far one of the highest ranked members of the opposition as well, if you like. Those who viewed Jesus with suspicion and disapproval. Which is why it's so surprising that he's the man who approaches Jesus in this passage at night under the cover of darkness so that he can have a serious conversation without being interrupted by lots of other people who wanted to meet the Messiah. It is clear that Nicodemus has come because he's either witnessed or at least heard about what's happened in the temple where Jesus turned over the tables. In other words, he's drawn to Jesus, whether because he likes what Jesus did or because he's perplexed by it, we're not sure. Nicodemus has come, though. He's come to find out more about this man who claims to be the Son of God. He's on a fact-finding mission if you like. He wants to know how this man Jesus fits with the religion that he was brought up in and is now charged to protect and keep in order. And so when Nicodemus approaches Jesus, he begins the conversation by attempting to engage Jesus in what he wants to talk about. He starts with flattery. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs that you do if God were not with him. We know you are a teacher and we know you're from God, says Nicodemus. So let's get into a conversation about why you are here, who you really think you are, how you fit into the systems that we've already established. 
Which, to be honest, could have been a very interesting conversation, if you like those kind of things. It could have been a nice evening of discussion. Nicodemus may have found out a lot about Jesus. He could have gone away with many facts and much to challenge him. But Jesus isn't interested. He isn't interested in a conversation that will go round and round the things that are really important. And so he gets right to the point, almost cutting across Nicodemus's way of talking when he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. Jesus gets right to the point. The issue that is really at stake, he addresses the kingdom of God, that which Nicodemus believes that he is here to protect and defend. And Nicodemus, this educated teacher, this lawgiver, this religious scholar who has studied and knows the things of God, is a bit baffled. He doesn't understand. Well, how can anyone be born when they are old, he says. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. You can almost see the cogs turning as Nicodemus desperately searches for something in his library of religious knowledge that will make sense of what Jesus is saying. But before he can fathom it out, Jesus continues by saying, you need to be born of water and the Spirit. Well, that makes a bit of sense to Nicodemus, because hasn't John the Baptist been baptising with water? For repentance, that makes a bit of sense. And isn't there a teaching in the book of Ezekiel that talks of God sprinkling clean water on Israel to make them new? Where God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is more familiar to Nicodemus, but it's also a bit baffling because these words in Ezekiel, well, they're a prophecy about what will happen to Israel in the future, what will happen to the Jews, not what will happen to anyone and not now. So once more, Nicodemus, the man of intellect and knowledge, is confused. And so he says, Well, how can this be? And by that, I don't think Nicodemus is asking about the practicalities of it all. You know, how does it work? How will it take place? By that, I think Nicodemus is suddenly starting to realise that what Jesus is talking about is something new. Something that doesn't fit with his way of doing things. Something that doesn't fit with his religious structures and systems. Something that doesn't fit with what he has always known and worked towards. In fact, something completely new and completely different that applies to all people everywhere. Which is truly shocking to Nicodemus because, you see, he and the people of Israel had always believed that they were God's chosen people. After all, that's what God says in the Bible. But by the time of Nicodemus, they also believed that only they were chosen. They, after all, were the people who were born of Abraham. They were in the right family. 
They were in the right genealogy. They were in the right social grouping. It was their birthright to benefit from God. And one day, the prophecies said they would. And all their enemies would be destroyed. While they, the people of God, the people of Abraham, the Jews, would be transformed if they followed God's laws and teachings. That's what Nicodemus worked towards, which is why he did his job so diligently and so well. This was the Jewish birthright. This was what God had promised. But now Jesus had come. And the message Jesus brought was different. It was baffling because what Jesus was saying was, no, no, Nicodemus, the kingdom of God is not about human birthright. It's not about being born of Abraham and seeking to preserve that by following laws and pushing regulations. It's about being born again. Or maybe a better translation is being born from above, being born of God, so that the benefits of new life are no longer a lottery of natural birth that either blesses you as a Jew or curses you as a Gentile. Instead, it is a gift, a gift from God to all people, the gift of his spirit that brings new birth. It's not a life of rules and regulations but a new life of freedom. As Jesus said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I don't know whether anyone here has seen the new £5 note. You should have done by now, surely. Um, I have one here. I kept it because I, can't, I don't seem to get them. They all keep giving me old ones. I've got one here. It's really nice. I really like them. In fact, so much so that I was leaning over a woman's shoulder staring at it. She wondered what was going on. But I was just looking at the fiver. And you know what amazes me is, here's an old one. Is they're the same value at the moment until the 5th of May 2017 when this is worth nothing. The same value, this one's slightly smaller, but although they're the same value, they're both £5 notes, they are completely different. This one is made of cotton-based paper, didn't you know? Easily ripped, easy to tear. If you wash it, it might survive, but sometimes we're really not sure. If you were to spill red wine on this one, it would go a sort of brownie-pinky colour the Queen's face would change shade and you wouldn't be able to get it back. You can't do much with this except, well, I suppose you could smoke it if you were that way inclined because it's paper. But, you know, it's a £5 note. Smoke it, spend it. But this one, now this, is plastic-based. Did you know that? bet you did. Because you're all very clever here, so... It won't rip. And it won't tear, although the Bank of England have said that if it does get a little nick in it, it will tear very easily. Don't try that. But apparently, it won't rip or tear easily. You can wash it, and it stays like new. You can spill red wine on it, wash it under a tap, wipe it clean, and it will be the same colour as it is now. And what I found out the other day 
is you can use it as a stylus on your old record player. Who knew that? Why you'd want to do it, well, yeah, you obviously read the article as well. It's amazing. You see, although they look the same in colour and things like that, although they have the same value at this moment, one £5 note is completely different from the other one. One, if you like, this one is a new creation that the old one can never become. However hard it were to try, they're completely different. And here, Jesus is saying the same thing. You see, Nicodemus came wanting to know how the way of Jesus fitted with all that he knew. And the answer was that it didn't. That within the old systems of rules and laws and stipulations, within the old way of birthright and selection, the new way of God didn't fit. It didn't fit at all because following God was not about progressing from the old life to the new. It was not about slowly changing and being a better person. It was about being born again, being born from above, being born of the Holy Spirit so that your life was transformed, becoming one that was guided and led and changed by the Spirit of God rather than by hard work and the efforts of human beings. And you know, today this is very familiar to us if we've been around churches for a while. As followers of Jesus Christ, this is what we believe. That when we come to know Jesus, we are born again. And not as a cheesy 1980s piece of Christian jargon that flew around all over the place that made some people feel better about themselves. But as a reality, the truth, that when we come to know Jesus, we're born from above. We're born from a different place, entering into a life with him that will never end. Which means that because we're born from a different place, our values and our way of being and our goals become different. And our aim is to live out our new guided and led life by the Holy Spirit, not by rules and regulations and an old religion that many people see as irrelevant to everyday life, but to live our lives by the dynamic spirit of God. This is what we believe as Christians. If we think about it, it's revolutionary, it's wonderful, it's truly life-changing. We're born from a different place and we can live in a different way. And yet so often, instead of living like this, we sort of end up doing exactly what Nicodemus did. We end up living lives that adhere to rules. And we struggle like mad to find a way in which Jesus can fit into the life we've created to make it better. In other words, even though we are born from above, even though by the gift of God we are born again from a different place, completely new, we often still end up living as if following God is all about human change that will eventually lead to a new life if we try hard enough. And subsequently, we don't always live as people who let our lives be guided by the Holy Spirit. We don't always live as people who listen to God because his voice is the one that we want to hear. We don't always live as people who believe that following God is a dynamic adventure 
that transforms our lives. Instead, we turn this wonderful new life into something far less than it should be when God intends us to have far, far more than we can ever imagine. As Jesus says to Nicodemus, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. If we know Jesus, we have new life. So let us live as people who are born from above. And let's do it today. Let's pause for a moment and pray before we finish. Please be seated. Please do. You're not too hot, are you? I see either too hot or too cold in here. Please do stay for coffee and tea after the service.